So I am told, I am told that we, listen, this is real important, guys. I know you're, I know you're talking, so this is good. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tee it up. I, I am told that we still need eight people who will work with the nursery and toddlers when we move to two services. And so I need eight people right now who will raise your hand and say, I will, I will help, I will hold babies. Raise your hands, raise your hand. Eight of you, I need eight. Eight who haven't signed up already, eight. Oh, come on, guys, that, that we, we were there. Eight who haven't signed up already. All right, go out to the chalkboard out there and sign your name, you eight. We need eight, and then we need about five more people who will greet at the doors. So I need five more greeters. So if, raise your hand, greeters, come on. Come on, greeters, all right. There we go, all right. Sign up on the door out there, and we will knock this out and take care of this. I'm so excited about what's happening and, uh, and what's coming on. Um, we've been working through, as kind of an all-church journey, uh, this idea of love over fear. And how do we love our enemies in a world of polarized opinions and a world where we just all seem to be shouting at one another? How do we come together and believe that God's love is actually greater than the fear that we experience inside of us? Um, and so last week, we kind of just looked at what fear does to us and how fear pits us against one another. Um, we've looked at love and talked about love as just not this sentimental kind of 80s love song, but love actually has the power to transform cultures and transform communities and transform families. And so today, this is what I want to do, and it's a little weird. Today, I want to talk about hate. <laughs> But here's the thing, there actually are some things all throughout scripture that God hates. Uh, and I, when I first heard this, I was a little uncomfortable with it because I was like, wait a minute, love can't hate. But as I started to dive into it this week, I've just been kind of studying this week what God hates and what God loves. Because I think the challenge for us is that sometimes we love the things that God hates and we hate the people that God loves. And so I want to spend some time talking about that, but I was thinking this week as I was working through this, I was just thinking through what are the things that I hate? Um, you know, we've all got a list of things that we hate. Are you with me? Like, there, we've all got these little fears, little phobias, little things that kind of, you know, so I, I made a list. Uh, it starts, it starts with the Michigan football team. Uh, it starts there. I grew up in Ohio. I grew up in Ohio. I was born into hate. Uh, and and I, like, I don't understand how in the South you all cheer for your conference. Like that just doesn't happen up North. I would not root for Michigan if they were playing Al-Qaeda, right? Like if, if Michigan was playing Hezbollah, I would have a Hezbollah t-shirt on that day. And I, whatever their colors are, I think it's probably red. I would be wearing that, all right? Like, I, I just, I don't, under, I don't understand it. I was, I, I hate camping. Anybody with me? I hate the outdoors. Like, there is a reason the Lord gave us air conditioning. There is a reason the Lord gave us beds. There is, a, like, I despise camping. Like, why would any human want to sleep on the ground? We live in a world where we have sleep number beds where you can create the temperature and the place that you want and if you're sleeping on the ground like good for you I just don't invite me to do it Ryan T I'm never going camping with you he's been trying for two years it's never happening it's just not it's not happening I don't fish I don't hunt I know we're in the south I just 
I don't shoot things. I, like all of my food I get at the grocery. I go there and I just like, I take out my credit card. It's air conditioning. I can even call ahead and they'll just put it in my trunk for me. Like I don't do any of those things. Um, I, I hate, this is, this, is, this is like real life from yesterday. I was writing these yesterday and so some of this is just like maybe explaining my day yesterday. I hate trying to persuade my children to do chores. Are you with me, parents? Like it feels like a reverse hostage situation or something. Like I'm just trying to like negotiate chores and there's threats and then there's like, I'll give you a pizza. Like we'll bring food in if you release these hostages. Like it just feels like this constant negotiation. I hate weeds. Men, like my yard, it doesn't, I pull them every week. My kids pull them every week and then they come back the next week. I don't know what's going on with my yard, but Weeds are a sign of the fall, I'm certain of it. Like, I don't, I don't read that in Genesis, but I think, like, somewhere in there, like, it's just a sign of our sin. Um, I, I hate, this is something I hate, I hate vinegar. I can't, I cannot handle, my, here's what happened. My grandmother lived with us when I was a kid, and my grandmother used to clean the house with vinegar, so our entire house would smell like vinegar. I can't handle the smell of it. I can't handle the taste of it. I, like anything, if I'm, somebody's eating fish and chips and they're just dumping vinegar, like I can't, I need to leave the table. Like I am flashbacks to grandma vinegar cleaning. Like I, I can't, I cannot handle that. Um, I hate popcorn kernels stuck in my teeth. Are you with me? That's a, that's, that is no good. You can't get them out. I, like you can... You can try and flaw, like there's all these things that you're supposed to do that, that they just don't work. Um, you know what I hate? I hate websites that won't let you in unless you give them an email. Are you with me? Who's with me on that? Like you get excited, you're like, oh, this is interesting information. I'd like to find out more about it. And then they start asking you like for all this information about yourself. I feel the same way when I get gas these days. Like I feel like I put my credit card in and they're asking me about like, what grades I got in high school before I can get gas. Like, I just want to put the credit card in and get gas. Uh, I, hate, I hate websites that make you come up with the most complex password in history. Are you with me? Like, you have to have five numbers and four exclamation points and six capitals, and I'm like, I'm never going to remember this. Like, this just means you're going to have to send me four emails next time I try and figure out how to log in to your website. Uh, I, this, I've got, I got a lot more. I could keep going forever, but I think we're losing steam on this. Um, there, there's also serious things, though, that just create like a righteous anger in me. Are you with me? Like, there's things in the world that aren't like popcorn kernel and silly things. They're not sports or our children, but they're like things that really, really matter. Um, I hate it when the church doesn't act like the church. Like I have this righteous anger this stirs in me when the church acts in hatred and not love. I hate it when children or the defenseless are hurt. I hate it when we take advantage of the defenseless. Like things like that drive me. I hate it when people are abused or neglected. And inside of me, this kind of righteous anger kind of grows in me when I start hearing stories of these things. And sometimes I think what we want to do is we want to like repress that righteous anger. Like it's got, I got to push that down because I'm not supposed to be angry. But I actually believe there are things we're supposed to be angry about. 
Like, I think there are things that are supposed to fire us up. I think the Lord is really clear that there are things that he hates um, and much of what I'm talking about this morning is informed by uh, a preacher, a woman named Lisa Bevere, who wrote a book um, that had some really amazing content on this about Proverbs chapter 6. Uh, and to sum it up, here, here, here's the summary of, of what I believe. God hates anything that unmakes love. So anything that undoes his love, he hates it. He hates what unmakes and breaks the ones he loves and the ones that he created. If we are created in his image, if we are his sons and daughters, if we are made by him and for him, then anything that destroys us or hurts us, God hates. He hates what undermines his image and distorts our identity as his sons and daughters. He hates the things that pervert and corrupt love. These are the things that he hates. But here's the difference between God's hate and our hate. His hate is never directed towards people. All throughout scripture, there's never a moment where God's hate is directed towards people. People are his image bearers. We are the object of his affection. And when we choose to hate people or people groups, what we do is we scapegoat people for the things that God hates. We confuse our hatred for what unmakes love to our hatred of people who act and look and behave differently than us. And so we misplace our hate. And what we tend to do is actually love the things that God hates and hate the things that God loves. And love is a word that is overused and underpracticed in our culture. Can we agree on that? It's overused and underpracticed. We don't have a good definition of what love is and what love does. We know how to speak of love without the corresponding actions that go with love. We believe that love is just like this feeling that we all get swept up into, but it doesn't come with any kind of corresponding actions. Love always pushes us to action. Love always pushes us outside of our comfort zone. And God hates anything that undermines his love for us and our love for one another. So according to scripture, I, I, I did a lot of work this week kind of looking at this. Here's some things that the scripture says God hates. Anything that undermines justice or truth, God hates it. He hates it when widows, orphans, strangers, aliens, or guests are mistreated. He hates the abuse of the elderly and the neglect of the family. He hates anything that perverts his goodness and taints his gifts to us. He hates it when anything is twisted into selfishness or friends become enemies. He hates anything that changes or distorts his image or our identity. He hates it when evil is called good and when innocents are killed or innocent blood is shed. And he hates arrogance and pride which degrades us and destroys us. Uh, everything God hates, that entire list of the things that God hates, I want us to understand this very clearly are all about protecting what he loves. Does that make sense? He hates anything that doesn't protect what he loves, which is us. It's his creation. 
It's his kids, it's his image bearers, it's his sons and daughters. So Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 through 19 is where we're going to land most of the day. And I just want to kind of walk through this and go piece by piece through this and look at why God hates these things because I think there's some clear pictures about our fear because our fear is that we hate the wrong things. Proverbs 6, 16 through 19 says, there are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and anyone who sows discord among his brothers. So can we just walk through those one by one? Um, It starts off with this idea of haughty eyes. Haughty eyes is best defined as pride, right? It's, It's pride. It's looking out for myself First, C.S. Lewis said this about pride. He said, pride is a spiritual cancer. It eats up the very possibility of love or contentment or even common sense. What pride always does is it places our self-interest above others. It says, my needs, my wants, my desires, my stuff is more important than everyone else's stuff. And it looks down on others. And God teaches all throughout the scriptures that the last will be first. That we lay ourselves down. That the the, the way he trains us to be humans is that we lay down our self-interests for the good of the community. For the good of others. We are constantly learning to lay ourselves down and to put others first. It's the golden rule. We love others before ourselves. We think of others before ourselves. Pride destroys our ability to do that. We cannot do that when our self-interest is our number one affection versus God and versus others. So it unmakes our relationship with God and with others. So God hates it. Pride will consider any instruction or any wisdom to be offensive. And so pride, it never allows us to grow. It never allows us to become the type of people that God has desired for us to be and has created us to be. It never allows us to be transformed into his image. And God hates it when we don't become who he's called us to be. He created us for a purpose. There were good works prepared for us in advance to do. God has made you in his image with your purpose and your reason and your place and all of these things in his mind as he created you. And so any way that we run to our own self-interest versus others and him is pride. The second thing it says he hates is lying. He hates both the act of lying and the spreading of rumors. Proverbs 12, says this. It says, lying lips are an admonition to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are his delight. God is the author and the originator of truth. So anything that is untrue doesn't come from him. We've got two voices in our head. We talk about this all the time. We have Jesus, who is our advocate. We have the Holy Spirit, who is speaking to us and guiding us and directing us and telling us what is good and what is true. But then we also have the voice of the accuser, who comes to what? Steal, kill, destroy, and lie. 
There is the voice of liar in our, in our mind and in our head that tracks us over and over again and deceives us. Just like the snake deceived Adam and Eve in the garden, the voice of the serpent is still accusing, is still lying, and is still undoing the truth of what God says to us. And so anything that is a lie, anything that is a falsehood, does not come from him and unmakes the truth that is the good news for our lives. Does that make sense? So this, this idea of lying, it, it, it stirs up untruth and it turns us away from the plans that God has for us and has us go after things that he never had for us. Next he says, innocent bloodshed. Innocent bloodshed. In First and Second Kings, over and over and over again, there's these passages that talk about worship of other gods. Um, at that time, there were a number of different gods that the Babylonians worshipped. One of them was Baal, and one of Baal's like buddies was Molech, M-O-L-E-C-H. Molech demanded child sacrifice. And so the Babylonians at that time would bring their children, babies, to a ceremony that usually took place kind of on a cliff with a fire pit in the back this giant fire in the back, and what they would ask people to do is to throw their children into the fire. There was this belief that innocent bloodshed would bring the blessing of their god, Molech. And so all throughout scripture, God is saying, this is not the way of love. This is not the way of love over and over and over again. And if you read through 1 Kings and 2 Kings, there are very strong regulations and rules and, and things that God is saying about staying away from the worship of the Babylonians. This is all directed towards this. He's saying we need to stay away from anything that sheds innocent blood. Now, innocent bloodshed in our culture happens silently. It doesn't happen in a ceremony where we throw our children in a fire. It happens privately in a doctor's office. It happens in a place that is now called a procedure or a choice rather than a sacrifice. It's not public, but it's private. And it's clear that God hates the shedding of innocent blood. Now listen, I understand that this is a complex issue and I'm gonna offend everybody on every side of both political parties by the time I get done with God's list so y'all can get ready. Uh, I recognize that this is a complex issue but, the, but, but here's the thing. It's very clear God hates the shedding of innocent blood. Um, I, when I was around, oh, I was like 28 years old, something like that, and somebody asked me to go picket at an abortion um, place. Uh, and they said, we're going to go and we're going to pray and we're going to hold up some signs. And I was young. I didn't know. I didn't know what was going on. I was like, okay, sounds like a good idea. I'll hold up some signs. I can pray. I'm not great at a lot of things, but I, I do know how to pray. And so I went with them and uh, instantly I felt really uncomfortable. Because what was happening in that place was the hatred was not directed towards the shedding of innocent blood, the hatred was directed towards the doctors and these young women who had no other choice but walking into this place. And they started shouting at these women who would walk in, they shouted at the doctors and the secretaries that walked in, and I lasted about seven minutes before I left. And I don't know that I could even verbalize what was going on there, but what was happening was what drives our culture of fear 
It is misplaced hatred. It is hatred that attacks the person that God created that is his image bearer rather than the structure of what is actually happening. Next thing he says is hearts that devise evil plans. Anything that is premeditated evil, a willful plan to harm someone else. This can be as big as wanting to physically harm someone or as small as spreading rumors about someone around me so that they don't look as good. It's anything that is this willful devising of some kind of plan to hurt someone else. I, I get it. Like I, there are times when, when, we, when our mind just goes to like, maybe I could try this. Maybe I could do this. I know how to get back at that guy. I know how to do this. Like, like there's things that roll through our mind over and over and over again on those kinds of ways. And we need to just say, revenge is for the Lord. My job is not to get revenge. My job is not to take action. My job is not to move into these ways. But my job is to trust that God is the one who takes care of those things. And so I don't need to seek revenge. I don't need to devise a plan to pay back anyone or repay evil with evil. What I need to do is simply walk in his ways and trust that he is good. Next is feet that run to what is evil. Um, I was reading a commentary this week that talked about, this is really talking about like gloating or being proud of getting away with something. Have you ever talked to somebody who's kind of like, they're, they're proud that they did evil? They're proud that they got away with something that they didn't expect to get away with? This is, this is this idea. It's running to things that will eventually destroy you or others. God hates that. He hates to see us running to the same struggles and same battles over and over and over again. He wants us to get victory and breakthrough over the sins that strangle us and, and tie us up and wrap us up. He wants to see breakthrough in our lives in all of these areas, but he hates it when we continue to run to the things that he hates. Next is sowing discord among brothers. Um, it's this kind of idea of stirring things up and make, turning people against one another. It's kind of like the rumor mill that gets started and you kind of start gossiping and start saying certain things. The, the church is pretty famous for this kind of stuff, let's just be honest. Like, oh, well, I wish it would be this way. Did you see how they did that? I wish they hadn't done that. Or Can you believe Ben talked about abortion? Like, I, I can't believe that. Can you believe that Ben talked about immigration, which is coming, right? Can you believe that this is, like, can you believe that this is going on? Like, and, and we just stir up these kinds of discord and frustration. And scripture is very clear that God hates this, and he hates it in particular when it happens in here. Among his family, in his church, among his people. Verse 4, it says, I do not sit with the deceitful. Um, Psalms, sorry, Psalms 26, verse 4. I do not sit with the deceitful, nor do I associate with hypocrites. I abhor the assembly of the evildoers and refuse to sit with the wicked. I wash my hands in innocence and I go about your altar, Lord, proclaiming aloud your praise and telling of all your wonderful deeds, Lord. Lord, I love the house where you live and the place where your glory dwells because God loves his house. Because he loves his church, he hates it when discord pushes us apart, when rumors and gossip destroy the work that he's doing in us and among us. Anything that destroys the family of God or pushes the family of God apart or tears down our relationships with one another, 
case. Because his plan is that we lift each other up, right? His plan is that we urge each other on. His plan is that we stand with one another, that we care for one another, that we love each other with his heart. And this is the place where this gets modeled the most. But sometimes the church becomes the most dysfunctional place for these kinds of things to happen. Sexual immorality, impurity, and idolatry. All of these things undercut intimacy between us and God. They also undercut intimacy between us and others. I believe that they all undo the work of love. I, my, my boys are getting older, and, and, and so I'm constantly trying to teach them and, and, and communicate with them. And, and one of the things I'm communicating with them is that intimacy is amazing. Can I just, am I allowed this as a pastor to say, like, sex is great. Like, it's, it's one of my favorites, right? It's not on the list of things that I hate at all. It's wonderful. But it was created for a context. It was created for a space that God knew it would flourish in. And when we step out of his boundaries, what we do is we tear down and destroy what he has created for good. We love what he hates. God hates pornography, guys. Fellas in the room, it destroys relationships. It uses image bearers as objects. It objectifies the defenseless. And it tears us away from the relationships that we actually love and want the most in our lives. He hates anything that pulls us away from him or each other. God created the institution of marriage and said it is good, right? I love doing weddings. Can we get some more weddings going on up in here? Because I, like, I haven't done a wedding in a really long time and I need some, so you all need to start. I don't know, fellas, I don't know who needs to ask somebody out in here. Like, I don't know what needs to happen but I am ready to officiate some weddings. I've been working on good wedding sermons for a year and a half now, like I'm ready to go. Um, I love doing weddings because there's this moment where you stand, oh, I can't go there, where you stand right here at the front of the church and you bring all of your friends and family and the people that you love most together and you stand before one another and you make these promises to the person in the world that you love the most and to God and to a minister and to your church and to your family and you say, this is the one. And God says, that is good. And anything that undoes our relationship with one another, anything that places a gap between our intimacy, between us and our spouse, God is opposed to because it undoes his love for us. God hates greed. Uh, we talked about this a little bit last week when we talked about scarcity. What greed does is it positions ourselves against one another. It makes everyone around me a competitor for the limited amount of resources that we believe exist. And so I've got to grab everything that I can possibly grab, and I've got to take everything that I can possibly take, because what greed does is it values things over people. Jesus said, you cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve me and money. You have to trust that you're serving me. And, and, and so what we do is we use money as a tool I'm going to get it right because I just said it wrong. Money is a tool to be used, not loved, and people are to be loved and not used as a tool. 
right? Greed causes us to get that the opposite way around. What we begin to do is we begin to use others to get what we want, and money becomes the object of our affection. Greed always places us first, right? It's going back to self-interest. It puts me in the pedestal, it puts me first, and it makes everybody else around me a competitor. And so I've got to grab and fight and compete and take what I have. So everybody who works with me at my office is suddenly a competitor and an enemy because we might all be competing for that same promotion. And it leads us down this crazy thing. Next thing he talks about is divorce. Malachi chapter two, verse 16 says this, the man who hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord, the God of Israel, does violence to the one in which he should protect. I love that passage. Can I just say that that is a framework for what God hates. Anything that does violence to the ones that we are supposed to protect. So be on guard and do not be unfaithful. Um, I, I want to be really clear here. The Old Testament model of divorce was different than our model of divorce today. Um, in the Old Testament, women had no rights whatsoever. And so over and over and over again, men would just simply decide one day, you're done, and they would be cast aside with no hope of ever remarrying or having another relationship, with no finances or protection given to them, with no care or opportunity for them. They were just simply cast aside. And this was a cultural challenge that was going on over and over and over and over again. And scripture, beginning in the Old Testament, says, no, 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 no. This is not the way of God. We will protect we will not do violence to the ones that we love. And I want to be really clear. God never says he hates the people who have been divorced. He hates what divorce does to our relationships. Relationships are destroyed. Marriage, the covenant that we have with one another, is destroyed. God doesn't want to. I've never talked through some, to someone who went through a divorce who says, yeah, it was great. It was super. It wasn't. It was really easy. It's hard, it tears us apart, it breaks down, it, it causes hurt in the people that God loves. It hurts both parties, it hurts children, it breaks apart all kinds of things and his teaching and his training are always that. We are to love and protect and lay down our lives for one another. We do not do violence about the ones that we're supposed to protect, which is the defenseless. Over and over and over again, Scripture says we are to take care of the poor, that we are to take care of the orphans, that we are to take care of the widows, and that we are to take care of the immigrants. Deuteronomy chapter 27 verse 19 says, cursed is the one who withholds justice from the foreigner. Exodus chapter 22 says, do not mistreat the foreigner. There are 37 passages that talk about how God hates it when we mistreat the foreigner, the stranger, or the immigrant. It has something to say about where we're at in our culture right now, I think. And I don't say this to stir up fear. I say this to say this is an example of misplaced hatred. We've begun hating a people group. We've begun hating people that we're supposed to protect and care for. Nowhere in Scripture does it say, just take care of the Israelites. Nowhere in Scripture does it say, we just take care of the people from Israel. 
Nowhere in scripture does it say anything about America. I'm sorry, guys. Like, it is not in there. It's not. It doesn't say we take care of Americans. It doesn't say we take care of them unless we're worried that we're going to lose our jobs. We take care of them unless the economy starts to fall apart. Then we stop taking care of them. We take care of them unless it costs us something. We take care of them unless there's a couple bad ones who come in and, and cause some problems. Nowhere does it say any of those things. It says we take care of them. We protect the defenseless. We protect the orphan. We protect the widow. We do not separate families from one another. Over and over and over again, Scripture is clear that we protect those. We do not do violence to anyone who is created or made in his image. I'm an equal opportunity offender today. Speaking of that, here's what he says next. He hates double standards and hypocrisy. Proverbs 20, 23 says, The Lord detests differing weights and dishonest scales that do not please him. He hates it when we are hypocritical. Who was Jesus toughest on? Was Jesus toughest on the orphans or the widows or the strangers? Was he toughest on the people that came to him and needed healing? Was he toughest on the broken or the hurting or the people who came to him in need? He was toughest on the people that were full of pride and hypocrisy. You know who he was toughest on? People like me. He was toughest on the religious leaders. He was toughest on the pastors. He was toughest on the people who tried to tell other people to do stuff without applying it in their lives themselves. He hates hypocrisy because it tears down what he loves. And he particularly hates hypocrisy in his leaders, the people who are supposed to teach his community to love. He holds his leaders to a higher standard. And let me just say, guys, like I'm full of all kinds of crazy self-righteousness and brokenness and ways that I get it wrong, and I'm going to say things the wrong way sometimes, and I'm going to make mistakes, and I'm going to mess up, but I work really hard to not be a hypocrite. I work really hard to be the same person I am up here that I am in my living room. I work really hard to have honest conversations with you guys and talk to you the way I would talk to you if we were having coffee together. And I'm not perfect at it, all right? I'm going to make mistakes. But God hates hypocrisy. Jesus also teaches us not to search out hypocrisy in others, but to find it in ourselves. To constantly say, Lord, seek my heart and know me. All right, I got to move quickly. He says he hates the rejection of wisdom. Um, Sarah and I, uh, starting on Monday, are starting a three-week cleanse. I don't even know what that means, but it sounds awful. Like it. I could have put that, I, in a couple weeks, I think I'll put that on the things that I hate, is like cleanses. So there's like really particular things that I'm supposed to eat over those three weeks. There's things that I'm not supposed to eat. Like I, uh, I know that after today, there is no Coke Zeros. Tyler, no Coke Zeros. And if you know me, Don Schaefer, if you know me, that's going to be a challenge, right? Some of you are happy about that change. I, like, that's a big deal for me. Like, there's going to be these things that I'm going to have to do. And I don't want to do any of it. I don't want to do any of it. But wisdom says, I just haven't had any energy for the past three months. And I've been exhausted and tired all the time. And I can keep rejecting wisdom and caffeinating myself in certain ways. Or I can actually try and do what's wise and say, I'm going to get my eating and my exercise under control so that my body's healthy. Uh. Rejection of wisdom is something that God hates. And I know that exercise and Coke Zeros, it may be a silly example. But there are many of us who just, re we just reject wisdom. 
We reject what's wise. We reject what's best for us. I want you to understand this. God wants what's best for you. I haven't gotten a single amen today. That one would have been a good one to, like, for somebody to... Like God wants what's best for us. And because he wants what's best for us, he wants us to receive his wisdom. He actually knows how to be a human. Are you with me? Because he made us, right, which is a big deal. That's pretty cool. And he also sent Jesus to model the way for us and show us what it's like to be human. And so he's created us with a purpose. And he says, this book is full of wisdom. It's full of good news. It's full of the way to be human. It's full of the way of love. And when we reject that, we're rejecting the truth and choosing to live for a lie. And he hates it when we do that. Proverbs 8.13 says, to fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride, and I hate arrogance, and I hate evil behavior and perverse speech. Rejecting wisdom means we're rejecting God's plans for our lives. All right, let's wrap this up. Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, discernment is not the difference between knowing what's right and what's wrong. Discernment is knowing the difference between what's right and what's almost right. It's a good word right there. It's not always the difference of knowing the difference between what's right and wrong. It's knowing the difference between what's right and what's almost right. And I think right now we live in a culture where we believe a lot of things that are almost right. We can justify a lot of things that are almost right. We can live for a lot of things that are almost right. We can go in directions that are almost right. And over and over and over again, God is saying, no, 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 no. I want you to love the things that I love, and I want you to hate the things that I hate. And so I, as I read this, I don't know about you guys, but as I read this this week, I've just felt incredibly convicted that there are some things that I love that God hates. Anybody with me? Is it just me? It's, maybe it's just me. Maybe this sermon, this whole thing is just for me because this is the least responsive this church has ever been to a message that I've preached, right? This, I, like, I, I'm realizing that there are things that God hates that sometimes I run to. And I'm recognizing that there are people that God loves that sometimes I hate. I'm recognizing that a lot of my fear is rooted in scapegoating people for the things that God hates. And so as I've gone through this this week, I, I've just felt really convicted in my own personal life, in my own sanctification, in my own search for holiness, in my own transformation, that I need to be really clear to pay attention to, is this something God loves or is this something God hates? Holiness is hard. And it's this ongoing journey that we step into every single week. But today, the way I want to kind of wrap up this sermon is just with a time of repentance. We preached a few weeks ago about how we really believe that repentance is good news. Like the best thing that can happen to us on any given day is we realize God has a better plan for me than this and so I wanna follow him. The best thing that can happen is that we receive wisdom and step into it rather than run from it. And so we're gonna move into a time of communion and the communion stations are open here in the front and in the back and in the balcony. And just wanna invite you to come to the table I want to invite you just to bring whatever it is that God's been stirring in you. Here's, here's the thing about the Holy Spirit that makes him good is inside all of our hearts, he stirs up our convictions. And he stirs up our hearts and he helps us to see the things that we can't see. 
And so I'd love for us in this quiet time of worship as we wrap up the service and as we go to the table just to say, Lord, is there something in me? Is there something that I love that you hate? And is there someone that you love that I hate? And will you teach me to love what you love and hate what you hate? Will you teach me to have your eyes to see and your ears to hear? And so can I just ask everybody to stand with me and can we just pray for a minute? Um, can I just ask you, I know we do this at the end of the service, but can we do it now? Can we just put out our hands to receive from the Lord? So Heavenly Father, we just confess, Lord, that there are times when we love what you hate. And there are times where we hate what you love. And we just humbly confess that we've gotten almost right, right a lot but we're still trying to figure out the perfect way to follow you and to love you. We confess that we really do believe that your perfect love casts out our fear, that your perfect love trains us in love that transforms. It trains us and teaches us to love what you love and hate what you hate. And so, Father, I pray with the power of your Holy Spirit that you will teach us to love the things that you love and to hate the things that you hate. I pray that you will teach Grace Marietta to be great lovers of people. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would empower us to love. I pray that you would convict us to love in our workplace, at the gas station, at the restaurants. I pray that you would give us eyes to see the hurting and the defenseless, those who need an advocate. And I pray that we would be able to be the people who step in and love and serve and care and lay down our own self-interest for the good of others. Lord, teach us to have your heart. Teach us to know your truth. Teach us not to be divided divided by polarization or political parties, but teach us to stand on your word and say we will not be influenced by outside voices that are speaking things that sound like wisdom but aren't really wisdom, but we will follow you and will stand where you stand and believe what you believe. We confess, Lord, that we have put our faith in political parties when our faith needs to be in you. We confess that we've put our faith in politicians when our hope is found in you and so we return to you today and we say teach us train us make us your disciples who go into the world to love and serve to be your hands and your feet we give our lives to you we give our calendar to you we give our neighbors to you we give our schedule to you we give our meals to you and we say all of these things in all of these things, teach us to use every resource we have to love what you love. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And the church said together, amen, amen. Let's come and take communion. Let's worship together and let's wrap up today.